Welcome to the Creation Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth King. Together, we'll have conversations with incredible human beings who have taken their creative outlet and turned it into something innovative. From people leaving the corporate world to be eight-figure entrepreneurs, to people who have created books, created a family, or just creating to have fun in the world. We are all in a journey to create something amazing in our lives, and I hope that you find some inspiration of your own here. This is the Creation Innovation Podcast. Welcome to Creation Innovation. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Beth Warren. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm just going to lead you, I should say, with a little bit about Beth before we get going. She is a perinatal psychotherapist in private practice in San Diego and has worked in reproductive mental health for 25 years. She's an author of the books, The Pregnancy and Postpartum Mood Workbook, and most recently, Healing from Reproductive Trauma. She's certified in EMDR and prenatal mental health, specializing in prenatal mood and anxiety disorders birth and reproductive trauma, pregnancy loss, and infertility. She's passionate about spreading the awareness about mental health treatment and prevention and is featured regularly on podcasts and gives trainings on prenatal mental health and trauma. Thank you so much for being here. I am so happy to have this conversation. This is something that is near and dear to my heart on so many levels, but how did you get into 25 years in this particular field is a while. How did you get into that? I was like to say, I started when I was two, although yes, I don't know how much longer I can joke. I started when I was a little baby social worker years and years ago, uh, and I worked in labor and delivery and postpartum in the NICU years and years ago uh, when I had just finished my master's in social work program. Um, and along the way, I just discovered I such a, a love and a passion for reproductive mental health. Um, but I was noticing I was working with people in crisis and oftentimes when things were not going well, of course, nobody calls in the social worker when everything goes smoothly. And I was seeing birth trauma left and right, even when it wasn't really called birth trauma back then. And I had such a passion for perinatal and reproductive mental health and wanted to work with people longer term. And so I started a postpartum support group uh, to run simultaneously and, uh, started a small little private practice and eventually just really fell into that love of the work of working with people longer term and just really wanted to work with people throughout the whole trajectory of their story, not just right. at like it's such an intense time, but helping them also with prevention and mitigation, working with reproductive trauma throughout the whole reproductive period, working with folks trying to conceive and going through infertility and loss as well. And so, yeah, it's just been my passion and love my whole career. The service that you provide for for people, I want to just clarify this because it came up with a client of mine this week, actually, the word psychotherapist. How is that different from therapist? Oh, it's a great question. Yeah. Um, it, there are many types of therapies. So think about like physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, for example. So you can use the term psychotherapy uh, for anybody that is like a mental health clinician that has a, a therapy background. So um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker and, uh, and psychotherapist, people who are um, 
uh, licensed marriage and family counselors will also call themselves or licensed marriage and family therapists will also call themselves psychotherapists. Yeah. It's a great question. Yeah. She asked that and I said, well, cause she's like, it just sounds bad. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go to somebody that's called a psychotherapist. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's the same as a therapist. You know, it's like, as long as you align with them, but I had never really heard that viewpoint before from somebody who hasn't gone down the road of needing therapy, right? So she's already kind of tiptoeing around this, um, I guess, stigma, which I am still surprised that it's there. And do you find that a lot for people when they come to see you that maybe they have needed to, but they've just kept kind of pushing it off and pushing it off until it got to a point where they really, really needed you because they were you know, afraid of that social stigma, so to speak? Oh, I think there continues to be a lot of stigma around mental health and accessibility issues. There's still a significant health inequity, especially with mental health uh, for people of color, for example. And, it, you know, it, it we're continually trying to combat that with systemic um, uh, issues. But the stigma issue is a real thing. And whether it be for people not wanting to access mental health treatment or medication, or maybe they weren't raised in families or communities where it was okay to access mental health treatment, or maybe not even okay to talk about emotions and feelings or certain um, certain emotions and feelings. So yeah, and then let's also name that like, people aren't often going into trying to start a family and also budgeting for therapy throughout that process. And so also the access issue and the affordability issue, you know, people often then when they're finding that they're wanting or needing mental health support, that then that can be one additional either financial burden and or uh, just a lot of barriers around that if they hadn't planned for that because most people don't. You plan for all sorts of other things, but not the mental health aspect. Absolutely. And I would just argue to that point in the fact that this is a small period of time. So you may think that, okay, this I need to budget for this forever. Well, hopefully you can get through this in a shorter period of time than you think, especially if you are getting help mentally through the process. And knowing that you know, it's this small window of time, which when you're in it feels like a giant window of time. When will this ever end? And and that feeling of things, but it will. And the investment that you put into yourself will come back to you tenfold, especially in this journey of fertility, because it is such a unique experience. And I think that's really why it is such a needed field, because it isn't something that we've heard or heard about in the hallways of school or our families talking about or anything like that up until now our generation that may be talking to this next generation coming up to say, oh, you were an IVF baby and this was a story around that. Or we had so-and-so losses around this time. Those conversations, well, obviously IVF wasn't even happening 45 years ago, but the the losses traditionally have been swept under the rug for generations and families and things like that. So that mental yeah. health, I always say from a even a lineage standpoint, we're carrying stuff that is, you know, pretty heavy and mm-hmm. not really talked about. And we're not trained just from a perspective of how to 
navigate that conversation on a day-to-day. So having somebody to help you mitigate yeah. that and work through that, I think is really priceless. How how do yes. you work with somebody who's, I mean, how do you work with someone who's going through a fertility journey and or postpartum that to say everybody is so different, right? This is what I say as well. Like nobody has the same story. They may be similar, but ultimately those underlying feelings though are very similar. And I think that's where it's sometimes comforting to know you're not alone in the feelings that you're having. Um, I mean, it, you answered it in the question that is very true that everybody is very different. So we start with what they are coming to therapy for. What is their goal? What are they experiencing? Even if they can't maybe name the goal, how are they noticing that they're feeling off? That's why I wrote my second book of healing from reproductive trauma. Sometimes people don't even identify that they've experienced something traumatic. They just know that they don't feel like themselves. They just feel off. And so they I, I help people start to, you know, kind of identify and articulate, what are you noticing? What are you struggling with? What do you wish were different? How do you wish that you could return to yourself? And slowly we start kind of deconstructing that and coming up with a plan together of how to help them get there. So yes, everybody is so different in terms of how it's impacting them, what their baseline was like before, um, and what are they wishing to work on? How are they talking to themselves? What's the narrative and the story that they're saying to themselves about what they've experienced? You know, are they feeling like a personal failure? Are they feeling like they're not good enough, that their body has betrayed them? Um, how? What's the impact on their functioning? How's it showing up in their day-to-day, in their relationship, et cetera? And when you use the word trauma, because I feel like it is used quite a bit now, how do you determine yeah. somebody who's just going through a situational a situation and they're feeling funky about it and not themselves versus we're actually going to coin this as trauma and maybe we need to do some EMDR around that and those situations? Because I, I think people are finding themselves, yes, this is a hard situation and it's normal for me to be stressed around it versus I've been, this is traumatic and I've been through trauma. How would somebody know the difference or is that for you to diagnose for them? Well, trauma is not a diagnosis. It's, I always love talking to people about that, that trauma is different than PTSD. So trauma is how our nervous systems are responding to an event. PTSD is a diagnosis. And so trauma is very subjective. I might have a traumatic uh, response uh, to a trigger that you and I have both been at. We might both drive past the same hospital. I might have this panic attack kind of reaction to it, whereas you're able to just drive by and not experience anything at all. Mm -hmm. Whereas PTSD is a cluster of symptoms, of, of traumatic type symptoms. So people do not have to have a full PTSD diagnosis in order to have gone through something traumatic. And so some of it is subjective from the standpoint of if someone says that they've been through something traumatic, then they have, Mm -hmm. but they also don't have to have labeled it as traumatic for it to still have an impact on them. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people to your point are maybe using this word more frequently. It's becoming, I think, more popular both in social media, but pop psychology, and that's okay that it is. If someone 
shares that it's traumatic to them, I listen. Mm -hmm. But I also have loads of clients that show up that have experienced traumatic, traumatic incidents, but are not describing them with the word trauma. And it may be because of the stigma, it may and how loaded that word is. It may be because they don't conceptualize it as such. So I'm not going to now try to superimpose that idea on them. We're going to work with what is there. So if, again, they're having triggers, flashbacks, nightmares, if they're having a difficulty in, in terms of avoiding certain situations, if touch is difficult for them, noise is difficult for them, they're disassociating, et cetera. If we're just noticing how these things are showing up for them, that's what we're going to address. Now, certainly at some point, I might try to provide some education around trauma responses and education and even just the nervous system and why they might be responding the way that they are. Again, that's why I wrote the book because I wanted to make it more accessible for people, even if people aren't wanting therapy or able to afford therapy. Um, but that's how I show up in my space and my therapeutic space too. It's like, let's just talk about what's happening. We don't have to put a fancy label on it. Let's just name like, how you doing? Let's right. go from there. Right. And I think that's a good place to start for a lot of people that I see that are very type A. You know, they've gone through life and have been pretty successful in most things. And if they haven't, they've been able to autocorrect that and get to where they want to be. And then they come along this fertility and or postpartum and they're like, I'm doing all the things and it's not yeah. working and I'm still yes. not feeling good. And I don't know what else to do at this point because anything that I have known about prior to this does not fall in line. So what yeah. do you say to that person that's just at their kind of end of their rope, so to speak, of feeling like they've checked all the boxes, they've done all the things, and they just are not feeling like who they were prior, whether it's prior to having a baby and prior to delivering a baby and or prior to a fertility struggle. Yeah, I love holding space for folks like that. It is so hard when in the real world, out in real life, that you can just keep applying yourself and working hard and to, for the most part, the, the outcome reflects how much you're applying yourself. Um, but control is elusive, isn't it? Because even in the real world, um, the non-fertility world, uh, stuff still doesn't always go according to plan, but there's nothing like a reproductive journey to really just magnify and highlight that. Right. And so sometimes it's just exploring how does that how has that shown up? How have people tried to course correct or overshoot the mark by trying that much harder and that much harder, holding space for that grief? Sometimes it's identity work too, this idea of but this loss of faith, this loss of identity in the way that we've seen the universe. This is how it's worked for me previously. So why is it not working here? So yeah, I, I, it's so important that we hold space for that and just explore all the ripple effects. Agree. And that leads me to my next question is, and I know this is probably where you pass off to a psychiatrist, but at what point should somebody talk with you about being medicated? And I know that's a sensitive subject for a lot of people that are trying to conceive because they're always hypersensitive about that. And obviously there are some medications that are approved for that, but how do you walk people through that because I know there's a lot of people listening that feel like maybe I should be medicated, but 
I don't really want to go down that road because I want my body to be really clean because I'm trying to have a baby, you know, but yet their mental state needs some sort of additional regulation. How do you walk somebody through that that's not even maybe aware that that's what they need? It's a kind of the, the voice in their head that's mm-hmm. happening versus, you know, I, a client that's saying, my mom's mentioning this or my husband or whoever. Sometimes it is easier for the outsider to to mention that, but how does that work when you're they're working with you? Yeah. Um, sometimes, again, it's just exploring some of those conflicts of what your expectations were or your previous identity and maybe grieving some of that. I always like to explore with clients, like, where is your line in the sand? You are the expert in you. And how might you know when you are at the point where you are needing something different? Uh, my three big Questions are duration, intensity, and frequency of symptoms in terms of how long have these symptoms been going on, duration, intensity in terms of severity, how severe are they for you, how how severe do they feel for you, because that's so subjective. Anyone can decide again where their line is in the sand, where they're like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I need some additional support, right. um, and frequency in terms of how frequent am I crying throughout the day, or how frequent am I having these intrusive unwanted thoughts or feeling that hypervigilance or the rage that is the outbursts that are happening for me that are very out of character. And so I'm like, eh, this is more frequent than I'm used to, et cetera. Yeah. I think those questions can often be helpful for people in terms of recognizing, yes, I and am And is there different. a time frame for that? Like when you say the frequency and the duration, is there, you know, again, on the fertility side, we say six months to a year, you know, depending on your age, what's, is there a a kind of bottom line for those. Like if you've been feeling this way for a month and a half, then you should, you know, for somebody who's listening, would it be, oh my gosh, I've been feeling this way and my frequency is, you know, all day, every day or whatever for one week. Okay. One week's not long enough. Right. So do you do you understand kind of the question that I'm getting at for people is how do they I know do. when that is the time? Is there a, a standard, so to speak? Well, that's why I like exploring it with people because, again, you're the expert on you. And sometimes asking these questions can be a helpful prompt to go, oh, my gosh, I hadn't realized this has actually been going on for six months. And for me, that's too long. Or for some people, it's like this has been going on for two months. And for me, that's way too long. Or maybe the intensity is such that it doesn't matter the timeline. I don't I. I don't like this. I am different. I'm impacted at work. And I, I don't like that that it's having an impact on relationships or, or whatever. So there is no standard in terms of like the fertility thing, to your point. If you've been experiencing this for this long and it's impacting right. you in this way, um, no, there's no formula or paint by numbers here. It, it just can be useful to be really real with yourself and ask yourself what truly is the impact? How long has this been going on and to give yourself permission to even have that consult. There are prescribers, psychiatrists, nurse practitioners, et cetera, that 
specialize in perinatal mental health, meaning this is their entire specialty. They only work with people trying to conceive who are pregnant, who are postpartum and nursing. And so they know all the latest research around medication. They're not going to be winging it. This is what they do. And they can answer all of your questions. And so at the very least, it can be worth it to have a consultation. You're not going to be leaving there with pills shoved down your throat. It can be helpful to just even get your questions answered so that if you do decide to take meds down the road that you already have a plan. For a lot of people, I recommend that they do it sooner rather than later so that you've already made a relationship with that person. You already have a plan set in place so that you're not waiting till you're really white knuckling it right. before you make that appointment. Right. And who there may be, I think, a lot of situations that once they start to do that psychotherapy work that they end up not needing to go down that road anyway. I think the the moral of all of this story is it's, it doesn't matter where you're at on this journey. It's never too soon to start looking into your mental health, knowing that this is a real situation and it can definitely affect all aspects of your life, your relationship, your own mental health, the, men- the people around you that are not sure how to navigate what's happening with you. And so even when you have those kind of tag words, taglines, so to speak, to teach people that are in your life, this is how I would like to operate during this time. I think it's really important to have mm-hmm. somebody around you that can help you navigate that. And as you said, even through the postpartum, it's such a huge, huge, huge difference of not only identity, but you know, you don't know what you don't know until you get there. And that's a really scary thing to literally be flying the plane blind, not knowing what's going on. And you can read all you want and do all the things, but when it comes down to it, it's, it is what it is. And then there's all this other emotional situation that's going on in your body, you're sleep deprived, that causes a lot of issues in and of itself. And so I think normalizing the conversation around mental health in all areas of this women's wellness in general too is is such an amazing need. And I'm glad that you're able to show up for 25 years doing this. Um, I think we need more and more people that are being really honest about these conversations and letting the men and women who are going through it give them that permission to know it's okay to ask for help at any point in your process, in your journey. Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you mentioned men because um, uh, partners can experience mood changes and perinatal mental health and trauma as well. And so it's just really good to keep having these conversations. We don't have to do it in a fear mongering way, but more just this idea of it, it is actually expected that while you are trying to conceive or if you're going through infertility, that your mood will change. So then it's a matter of knowing that support is out there if it gets to a level where it it feels like you are just off or that it is hard to function. So you don't have to wait until things get really challenging or or difficult. Right. Well, how can people find you, learn from you, work with you? 
Yeah. So I'm in San Diego. So if people want to see me in person, that's where I'm at, or I see people virtually through the state of California. Uh, my website is bethanywarrenlcsw.com. And I also offer consultation for uh, EMDR clinicians around the world as well. And I also do trainings for uh, people on all of these topics that we've talked about as well. And that's such a huge passion of mine to keep spreading awareness. Um, my two books that you mentioned, thank you for talking about those are such loves of mine and such passion projects uh, are available online. Uh, and you can always ask from your local bookstores as well. Amazing. Well, we will certainly certainly put all of those in the show notes today. Thank you so much for being here and again, showing up in such an important process of all things mental health in relation to pregnancy, postpartum, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks so much, Beth. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creation Innovation Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify for free episodes and subscribe to the Creation Innovation Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to get your podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Yes, we actually do send out gifts. It's my favorite thing to do. So visit us at elizabethking.com backslash creation innovation for more information on how to enter. Every review counts and we are so grateful. You can follow me at the official Elizabeth King on Instagram or TikTok. Until next time.